So he's the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. What does that mean? Oh, prophet, priest, king, and warrior. The prophet is the one who spoke to the people on behalf of God. He got the word of the Lord. He came. He led the people. Hey, here's what God says. One of my masculine roles is to be able to do that. I got to know the word so I can communicate the word to my family, my friends, and those under my influence. Priest, very, what did the priest do? Oh man, he talked to God on behalf of people. He prayed for them, he served them, he served God's house. And so there's this servant leader role that we have to fulfill. I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church, serve her, serve my children from a leadership capacity and the context of prophet. And then there's king. What does that mean? Amen. That is dominion and rule, create resources, level those resources for God's kingdom, his house, to take care of your garden. Every man has a garden and we need to be working it and caring for it. Welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard. This is Leadership Mindset and Development for You, the Kingdom Man. And guys, I've been looking forward to this episode for quite a while. It's been in the works for a while. This man that's about to come on and speak to us is someone I've entered into a relationship through social media a couple of years ago, actually. And um, he's someone I've been watching, someone I've been very curious about. He's doing big things, powerful things. And I wanted to release his message here on the platform platform for everyone listening. So I'd like to welcome Pastor I.V. Marsh. Welcome to the program, brother. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Total honor to uh, to be on with you, following you on social media for a couple of years and chatting back and forth. You're doing great things for the kingdom. Um, your book, The Standard, uh, challenged me, transformed my life some, and um, have handed it out to a bunch of guys to understand that there is a standard for masculinity in the kingdom. So thank you for being the head of the spear on that, bro. Well, I'm totally honored that you would say that. And, um, you know, that book is really about Jesus. So I'm just so thankful when it gets into the hands of anyone. It's not about me, but it's about pointing people to the standard. And I love that you're so passionate about that. And that's the work you're doing. And I want to dive into that work today. Um, But before I do, can you give us a a quick snapshot of, you know, you're doing some big things. you got a lot of things going on. I've looked at your bio. Could you give us the 30,000 foot view? to everything you got going on right now? Sure, sure. Why not? Um, well, I've had the honor and privilege to pastor Becoming Church for the past, man, 17 years will be this year. Um, and it's, I believe, the local church is the hope of the world um, in conjunction with with great men that are powerful leaders. And so my wife and I have been doing that for 17 We also do marriage coaching through our own personal ministry called Becoming One. And then, I mean, we travel some with that and and we put on intensives, and then um, I have a, a men's ministry called Becoming Man, and it's very event and group driven. Uh, we partner with churches all over the United States to to empower men to walk in their God given masculine identity, is what we say. And then we hold events out here on Legacy Ranch, where I live, on seventy acres, to uh, bring men in to just expose them to what. It looks like practically to be a man of the kingdom. So lot, lots going on. I can like I could talk forever on all the events and stuff that we've got going on. Wow, that's amazing. I, I want to come. I'm going to come out and visit you. Um, 
<laughs> it sounds great. So before I get into that, because I, I definitely want to go there, um, what I'm really interested in is I see the man in front of me today and I see all the things that you've built, what you're doing, how you're walking out your calling right now. But I always ask, like, what did they do to get there? Like, what's obedience look like behind the scenes? And I know like I'm only looking at the tip of the iceberg right now. There's a lot of roots. There's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of time and that walk of obedience. So if you don't mind, I'm going to take you back a little bit. I'd like to get into your backstory. If you could tell me um, a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point. I, I would say least least likely person in my community for anybody to ever think would be a pastor, much alone a Christ follower. Um, so Went to church a little bit when I was younger. I did not. I was not raised in church. We didn't have a church family. And uh, the few times I went to vacation Bible school, I don't know if anybody remembers that back in the day, um, I was sexually abused by some leaders in the church. And so grew up with a disdain for the church. And because how you view the church typically is how you view God, um, I really didn't have a, a desire to love for the Lord growing up. But, you know— <clears throat> I would say I lived a pretty wild life, but I was involved in sports. I got really good at sports. So typical, probably redneck American story, just, you know, doing dumb stuff and thinking it's okay. Um, met my wife, and she was a college cheerleader. I was a college football player. We fell into lust <laughs> and began to, you know, have sex. And then that led to two pregnancies back to back where we decided to have an abortion each one of those. And so coming into the opportunity where somebody finally shared the gospel with us was because my second son was born and given 72 hours to live. And my wife's like, you got to go pray. I'm like, I don't know what that means or if he's real. And so I, I said to the Lord, while my son's plugged into all these tubes and stuff, I was like, look, if you let him live, I'll go to church, man. Um, and I'm a police officer at this time. I've already gotten out of the military. And so he did. He was in uh, the neonatal unit for 16 days. And when he got out, as soon as he could be around people, we were in we were in a church the, that next Sunday. And I, I thought I had just made the worst deal of my life. Like there was a bunch of old people, no disrespect, a bunch of old people. What the guy was saying made no sense. They, they were playing the piano and singing him 191. And I was like, what are we doing? <clears throat> But a deacon came over to our house and shared, to this day, the most beautiful presentation of the gospel to me and my wife. And my wife got saved. I'm talking about, I don't know, your listeners may be everywhere theologically, that's fine. But she got saved, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, off the whole thing, like right out the gate. And I like, I said a prayer and I thought, okay, well, I'll hold my deal. I'll keep going to church. But I didn't, I didn't find the Lord. But she was so different, bro. Like, I mean... She was not the same person. And so it took me about six months of wrestling with the Lord, arguing with the Lord. And, and my salvation prayer was on the side of an interstate, honestly, in a cussing fit with the Lord because I was frustrated. I was holding up my end of the bargain, but nothing was changing. I heard the Lord speak, and he was like, he said, he said that, that's your issue. You're trying too hard. I need you to surrender. And man, the Holy Spirit washed over me. And what had happened to my wife six months earlier happened to me. Like I stood up, I was different. And then from that moment forward, even as a police officer and doing what we were doing, from that moment forward, we were like, this is the Jesus people have to experience. This is like not grandma, not Southern Baptist, not Pentecostal, the Jesus of the Bible that can come in 
and radically transform a human heart, like that's who they got to see. And from that moment forward, we've been passionate about that ever since. Yeah. Wow. What an awesome encounter. So, okay. So how do you go from that? To like, what's the what's the next part of the journey? Because you're a pastor of a multi-site church, so I don't think that was on day two. <laughs> so, so day two was I'm a police officer and I'm I'm busting people with drugs and I'm cutting deals with them. Hey man, I got like a gram on you. You give me four Sundays at church, we can negotiate this. Thing. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so we started that. And so like most people kind of go through a life discipleship process. They, they allow you to teach Sunday school. You become a deacon. Um, then they opened up. And they had a, I think much like you, Josh, they had this youth um, leader spot open. They were like, hey, would you would you like to lead our youth? And I'm like, sure, why not? And we became youth pastors. And, I, you know, some people have like this like this moment where I know I'm called. And for me and Benet, it was more of a process of being discipled and given opportunity and stepping in and just realizing, man, we can't think about anything else. This is all we want to do. And I love the work of being a police officer. I, I love the interaction. I, I liked taking bad guys to jail. Like, But the system obviously is not the best in the world. And so I was like, you know, putting somebody in jail, okay, but giving somebody Jesus, discipling them, that's really what's going to change them. And my heart and her heart were just drawn more and more to that. And so started with youth pastor, then we went to Vegas and helped a buddy plant a church, became the executive pastor there. Man came back. My wife was diagnosed with leukemia, given five years to live. And, and I had like a, um, a um, crisis of faith. Um, just that, you know, that dark moment, that dark night of the soul, soul that people read about and really had to wrestle through, is God still good if this is true? Like, is, is God still good and still fulfilling his promises if, if I only have five years left with my wife? Um, and we, we were kind of out of ministry at that point. Um, and obviously she, she got healed and, and God's been doing a work through all of that. But in that process, God taught me a lot about grace and faith. And just because something doesn't seem good doesn't mean it's not good. And then we stepped into the current pastor role that we're in now. We, we took a small church in, here in Decatur, Alabama, and God just blessed it. And it's, it's grown and grown and grown. And we have, you know, multi-sites. And through COVID, some of the sites made it and some of the sites different, but like a lot of churches. But it's been really, really great. And... So that's, there was no ever moment of like, I'm called. It was like this process of God exposing me to what was possible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A um, couple things. I got to say, first of all, thank you for being so authentic and vulnerable. I think like right now, depending again on your stream of Christianity, we have a lot of people that embrace a performance mentality where they wouldn't let the guard down and show you the real person, um, what it was like walking everything out. So I just want to honor you for that. A couple things I heard in your story. Um, two things I just want to highlight and just allow you to react to it or speak to it. I see this cycle of dominion. You know, we talk about this. We all want to take dominion in life. And, and you're in a place right now where you're, you're governing and you're over things and you're a builder. And I also see the theme in your life where you could humble yourself and say, yeah, I'll do the youth group. Yeah, I'll start wherever the Lord has me. So I see you under leadership. And that's part of your story of how 
you get to lead others at this point in your life. Um, I'll allow you to react to that. And you know, the one other, let me throw one more thing in there and I'll let you respond to both of them. The other thing that I see in your story is you didn't have this huge, you didn't sense this huge call on your life. It's been a process. And that just reminds me to the way the Lord, I know it's different for everyone, but you know, the Lord promises to give us a lamp to our feet. We don't always get a spotlight to see the whole thing. So it's this step-by-step of faith journey. Um, if you want to say anything about that, I want to, you know, just get your reaction to it. As far as like humility, submission process, I, I think too many people want to bypass the process. They want to step into something massive. Oh, I, and people probably say it to you, Josh. Oh, I, I want to be able to do what you do. Well, if you would like that, there's a process to get here and there is no easy way. There's, there's no microwave success. It may happen from time to time, but that's like the super anomaly of somebody having an overnight success. It just does, it's just not real. And so even if you look at all the patriarchs of the Bible, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Paul and, and even Jesus to some degree, God took them through a grooming process. Um, King David, probably the most famous grooming process of kingship ever. The great thing about my journey is, is because I didn't grow up in church. I wasn't exposed to Christianity. I didn't know that's what was happening. I just was, I love Jesus. What do you need me to do? Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. If it's clean toilets, I'll do it. And I have clean toilets for the church. I'll do that. Like I'll, I just, I just want to serve you because serving you is how people hear about you. And so with each step, it's almost like the Bible fruit. You do well a little bit, I'll give you a little bit more. You do all that, I'll give you a little bit more. And so, but through that is the process of him using success, pain, trials, triumphs to mold you into the person that I am today. And the question is, is would you change it? Well, there's some things I would like not to walk through if I could choose, but I'm also wise enough at almost 50 years old to go, yeah, wouldn't be me if I hadn't have had to deal with that thing. So I think that's important for everybody in in leadership, Christianity, to understand when there's a process. And and if you're going to trust somebody to speak into your life, the first thing I ask them is like, hey, who are you submitted to? Who speaks into your Who holds you accountable? Because if they don't have anybody, then I sure don't want to make myself submitted to them because they'll probably abuse that submission because they don't have somebody they're actually to. Yeah. Wow. A lot of wisdom in that. That's, that's awesome. I love, and Hey, I love, you know, looking at King David's life and he's a prototype of Christ and we can see, um, a couple of things. And I know we're going to get into some stuff about how he can even relate to this, but I believe it's from the time he's called an anointed King as a shepherd boy, it's a 17 year process is my understanding before he takes the throne. So a lot of us, we get a promise. We want it to happen right now, but we still, you can't, I love what you said. You can't bypass that season. And what I like to say is God breaks the man before he makes the man, because it's this, this process of conformity and that's laying down our will and that's changing. And yeah, I love it. I love that you shared that. So let's go here. I want to, you know, obviously you have a huge focus with uh, Becoming Man. You're, you're an author. You wrote the book. You now have a movement. You do events. Um, before we get into that, how did you get this burden or how did you get this, you know, where does this come from in terms of your, your drive to help men, see them set free, see them become men? Um, give me the backstory on that. 
Well, I, I did everything that I'm living in right now and even uh, being given the opportunity to help men really was born out of my desire to be a better husband and better father. Um, and look, my granddad and my dad did the best with what they had. So I, I don't dishonor them um, because I try to focus on the good characteristics they gave me and not focus on all the bad. But the truth is, they had no idea how to be a biblical husband. They had no idea how to be a biblically legacy-minded father. Like they just, it just wasn't in there. And so when Banana gave her life to Christ, and I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I love you, but I don't know how to love you. And you read Ephesians, you go, love your wife as Christ loved the church for the love of all that's good in the morning. What does that even look like? And then people kept talking to me about your identity in Christ. If you'll just embrace your identity, it'll be okay. And I'm like, well, what is that? We are a child of God. Okay, but like I'm a dude too. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and to like be a dad, and what does that look like? And so honestly, dude, <clears throat> Benet and I jumped into this study of Christ's masculine identity to help me. It wasn't about let me have this movement that's all over the United States and the world. It was really about, Jesus, I need some help. I do not know what I'm doing. And I can't. And here's what's back. <clears throat> In the South where I live, a lot of Christian men are very judgmental and to some degree racist. Or they're super as apathetic and not driven. And I was looking at both of those and going, okay. I don't see either of that being Jesus. And I've been around the dudes that are like hateful, judgmental, and racist, and I know that's that's a bad deal. But there's nothing in me that's apathetic. That's, that don't exist. I can't put on khakis and act right. So what is what is the call of masculinity in Jesus so that I can be everything that um, Benet desires, so I can raise my kids? And so we jumped into that and found out that, you know, God has four faces, and in those four faces, it communicates his identity, and he, he communicates himself as masculine, so that's the masculine identity. We know that Christ fulfilled three offices theologically that correlate to the faces, and so we unleash this design of masculine identity for me to figure out how to walk in that we call prophet, priest, king, and warrior. And, and if, I do, if I roll in my role, man, listen, everything's good. The minute that I don't and I try to do it outside of the will of God, I don't know about you, but my life can go to chaos in a split second because I'm choosing to do something that's out of order. And then I was like, hey, maybe I can, I took on five guys. I was like, maybe I can help five guys to tell them what I learned. Hey, here's what I learned. Here's what this looks like. Me and Benet have been working on this for about two years. Um, would you like to learn this and five guys lives were changed and they were like they were like pastor you you gotta tell the whole church about this i'm like okay and then we held a conference and like it just kept going and going and going and going do not despise small beginnings you know it's like come you start on, small it's like no i mean everything you're saying i mean i just want to say to the listeners that are, are listening to this everything we're hearing in your story it's all about stewardship 
you know, what you have, if you manage it properly and you submit it and you walk in obedience, the Lord multiplies. And in all these, everything you're telling me, Pastor Ivy, you didn't force the multiplication. You know, you didn't say, hey, I'm going to do this and then I'll do this and then it's going to blow up. You just were obedient with where you were. And the Lord is the one that added and multiplied. And I'm thankful that he did because I get to talk to you today. And if you weren't obedient, I wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> it's been a, like, it's been a dope ride. And, you know, the masculine soul wants adventure. We just look for it in the wrong places. I, I've not, listen, I've been in the jungles of Panama. I've been undercover drug buying. And that's all, that's a lot of adrenaline. But there's nothing like the adventure of following Christ. Like it's just, just not. Have you heard about the Unfair Advantage Challenge? Guys, I just released a brand new challenge. It's totally free. It's an email experience. You can sign up at the link below. Now, back to the episode. All right, I got to go here with you, and we're, we're going to keep going into this. But um, right now, like right now, there is in our current culture, you know, men are in pain, and there's been, and I'm talking outside of Christian culture. You know, there's men's movements rising up. It's like there's these different camps. Like they either become more feminine or they they don't embrace masculinity or they swing to the other side of the pendulum and they try and go only on the warrior motif or only after like in a really hard way, whether that's a front people are playing or, or they're really embracing it. But I think when we see things happen in the culture, I think that's like a thermometer for what the Lord wants to do. And it's also a generation crying out for there's something missing. I don't have the truth. So this is my response to it because this is just the way I think I need to respond. I want to get your sense on that. And and I'd like to hear what you think's happening in culture and why men are responding the way they are. Man, I don't think I can agree with you anymore, Josh. Whenever something is stirring in culture, to me, it just means God is stirring. God's calling. He's trying to make things known. And even somebody who is not saved can be and oftentimes is prompted by like the Lord is not contained because oh I'm lost I can't hear from God. No you do. He's he's the keeper of creation. And so whenever the stirring happens, you know God is stirring. And so there's like you, there's there's kingdom guys. And I love the fact that guys are going, yeah, I'm not Christian, I'm kingdom. And I think that's super important. So that's happening within the church. And then in the world there's all these men movements springing up everywhere. Well if I'm if I'm lost and I'm trying to figure out hey, what's what's masculinity look like, hmm. in my opinion, in my study, your movement or your standard is going to be one of three things. I mean, you see it in some of these super intense men's weekends. I'm just going to learn how to be sinfully aggressive. I'm ju- I'm just going to be the biggest butthole I can be. And, and I'm going to bully everybody I can to get what I, oh, well, okay, it can work. All right, like that's an option. The other is, oh, man, you know what? I'm going to be kind of the lone warrior. I'm going to withdraw. Very, I don't have many listeners who know this, very Rambo. I'm tough, but I don't have any friends. I'm by myself. And I grind every day, and I don't need you. I'm withdrawing from issues. Oh, well, it'll work for a while. And then what you said earlier, there's this, I'm just going to be sinfully passive. It's whatever. It's all fine. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. We'll all get along at some point. And outside of the kingdom, Christ, as your model, 
That's what all move, men's movements become. It's one of those three things because that's the brokenness in us. And when, and when you try to put something that legitimately could be good, hey, be aggressive, that's good, but it's put on something broken, it becomes sinful and it overextends itself. And now everybody's buying 511 pants and running through with their AR-15. They feel like, oh, now I'm a warrior. No, you're dangerous is what you are because you don't know what you're doing. And everything revolves in what I call the three defaults of masculinity. And so you've really got to decide, I want to live Christ's model, where he honestly, he takes those defaults and redeems them into prophet, priest, king, and warrior. Yeah, you are a warrior, absolutely. But you're not the warrior absent the king. You're not the warrior absent the prophet or absent the priest. Like the warrior heart is tempered by the priest, prophet, and king. The well, same is true for king, same is true for prophet, same is true for priest. All of You have to be all four all the time. And that is a very healthy man that despises evil and can be aggressive, but his wife is not scared of him. His, his children aren't nervous when he's at home. He, he brings, it's like Jesus, he brings peace everywhere he goes. But he knows he may have to be aggressive. It's just not sinful. Um, and th- that's kind of my take on it. I think that's what you're asking. But it's not that I, it's not that I hate those movements. I, I just think they're perpetuating the problem more than they're bringing solution. Yeah. I mean, well, anything rooted in us as the source, it kind of it just goes back to fallen Adam. It goes back to our fallen nature where, you know, we want to elevate. And, you know, I see that a lot. I'm, you know, I work in the business world. So there's a drive within men. You know, we're pushed for greatness. Like Elon Musk keeps expanding. Jeff Bezos is doing his thing. And that's not a bad quality to want more. Uh, but when it's not redeemed, dominion turns into domination, things go off. And exactly what you said, you just get out of alignment. But there is a, there's a God given expression and a drive within us. And if it's not properly taught or accepted, and if that old self doesn't die, it messes up people around them as well. Yeah. And and I think you see right now, even in churches a little bit, there's even the, the Christian camp that's moving more toward what I would say, king and warrior. Hey, we're going to make a lot of money and we're going to be super, super tough. But you also have this side that's like, no, we're going to be very prophet, priest, quiet, um, pray all the time. Yeah, but you're not. Those guys aren't making anything happen. These guys aren't praying and being sensitive to the Spirit. When actually, we need guys to understand, man, it's, bo- it's both of those. It's, mm-hmm. it's prophet yep. and priest, king and warrior, put together under the blood of the Lamb so that when I am expanding, when I am taking dominion, it's it's peaceful, it's right, it's under the flow of the Spirit, and, and I'm not... Like I can be, I can have dominion and not be overbearing, um, and I can I can have a nice, beautiful, quiet tone without being apathetic, and but man, that's that's a balance I think you have to fight all the time. Yeah, I agree. I see. I totally agree with you. I think there's two camps right now that I could see. I'll put them in two buckets. You know, one is so focused just on. Um, probably what you would say, the priest role, ministering to the Lord and just being in this place where, you know, and the, the presence of the Lord is powerful and it's awesome and we embrace that. But if you never leave the tent and you never go and do something, that can become out of balance. And on the other side, 
if you're only doing and working and using external measures and going after something and you don't have this, well, that's totally out of order. So we do need a balance restored. It's just such a timely message. Um, all right. So take us there. Take us into the four dimensions. Take us into these four roles. Give us a little bit more if you would. wouldn't mind unpacking it. I might have some questions along the way. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 10, the prophet is taken into the space where he, he sees the Lord and the Lord shows him who he is. And he says, I saw the face of a man. I saw the face of a lion. I saw the face of an ox. I saw the face of an eagle. Well, each gospel, there's four gospels. All those gospels are written to show Jesus as one of those faces. Now, when, when, he's, when Ezekiel sees this, he doesn't just see the man by itself. He never sees one of the faces without the presence of another four. Um, I'm not sure how that worked because my brain goes to, okay, it's four sides. If it's four sides, I'm only seeing, but that's not how God works. Yeah, He's spiritual. saying, hey, here's the face of the man in the presence of the ox, eagle, and, and lion. So like it's it's all there together. <laughs> then you go, okay, theologically, Christ did fulfill the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Well, those correlate with the faces of God. He did fulfill warrior some, but obviously we know the second coming is a little bit more warrior But let's not forget, he did turn over the change tables. He did call his best friend Satan. He like he came to destroy the works. So that's there. And so when you look at that and go, okay, Ephesians chapter one says, invites me to imitate God's little children. Well, I'm I'm a man. What does that look like? Oh, dope, easy. Here's your dad's faces. And facing the Hebrews, not but actually, it's the character of. So he's the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. What does that mean? Oh, prophet, priest, king, and warrior. The prophet is the one who spoke to the people on behalf of God. He got the word of the Lord. He came. He led the people. Hey, here's what God says. So my, one of my masculine roles is to be able to do that. i got to know the word so I can communicate the word to my family, my friends, and those under my, my influence. Priest. Okay, very. What did the priest do? Oh man, he talked to God on behalf of people. He prayed for them. He served them. He served God's house, and so there's this servant leader role that we have to fulfill. I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church, serve her, serve my children from a leadership capacity in the context of prophet. And then there's king. What does that mean? Amen. That is dominion and rule. Create resources. Level those resources for. Um, God's kingdom, his house, to take care of your garden. Every man has a garden, and we need to be working it and caring for it. Well, that means I can't be lazy. I got to get up every day and make it happen because I'm the king. And the king also lays about the standard and the rule of law for his kingdom. Like, I I need to establish core values and expectations for my home, my children, and how we operate. And then there is the warrior piece. But the warrior piece... Often is, is the one that's misunderstood. So I got I got to be like super mean. No, no, no. The warrior's not mean. The warrior is honestly. Jordan Peterson came on the scene and gave us awesome freedom. It's exactly what he said. It's a dangerous man who knows how to control. It. That's what a warrior is. A broken warrior is just dangerous. But like, if I'm a warrior and I'm skilled and I've honed my craft, I will die for my family. I will do what necessary to protect them, but I'm not walking around looking for a fight. If you bring it to me, hey, you're back. That's on you. But I'm not walking around 
arrogant, trying to make everybody think I'm tough. Like that's you don't see that in the samurai culture. You don't see that in martial arts anywhere. Guys who can fight and guys who have been to war have no need to look for it because they know. Often broken warriors are the ones that want to fight everybody. They're, they're picking a fight all the time. Why? Because they feel the need to prove themselves. And there's too many guys trying to prove themselves. Um, so the warrior is very, it's, it's a dangerous guy who knows how to have self-control. And, and if you walk in that prophet, priest, king, and warrior, scriptural, masculine identity, imagine, Josh, every guy understood that and lived that way every day, how different your state could be, your uh, country. I mean, it, it would revolution. And everybody's like, no, just follow Jesus. Yeah, I get it. But if you don't know what following Jesus looks like, feels like, sounds like, then you make that into your own. Oh, here's what I think it should be. And I think God was very purposeful in mapping out, hey, if you're a guy, here's what a biblically masculine man looks like. He's the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. Prophet, priest, king, and warrior. So much so Jesus modeled it. And, and I, for me, dude, that's the answer to the world's problem. I love what you said where you said, it. you know, Jesus said, follow me. Um, and we need to know what that looks like. So I'm going to take you here for a moment. How is the church failing men? Because I, I grew up in church. So I, I see, I've been in some churches that had a powerful men's ministry and there was a place where I could see it. I could connect um, as a young man, um, as I was fortunate that the Lord brought those people into my life in certain places. And I've been in other places where it's absent. So for, for guys that are listening right now, you know, they might've grown up this way where they don't know what that looks like. And actually I want to just get your thoughts on, are we, is the church, and we're not bashing the church at all, but our, our organizations, our systems, are they failing guys where we even got to this point? Unfortunately, the church is failing um, men specifically. When I say the masculine soul, I, you know, I'm talking about the heartbeat that's in every guy that he feels like sometimes is wrong or not acceptable or whatever. And the church is failing that. And, but it's, it's not just a 21st century problem. The feminization of the church started in like the 15th century with the onslaught of bride theology where they, they made, that's, that's where the Jesus is my boyfriend movement started. They didn't call it, they didn't call it that, but that's, that's what happened. And then the communication of this, honestly, Josh, like this erotic love language between the believer and Jesus, guys are like, okay, look, I know Jesus loves me, but that's just weird. And, and, they, and they found out that it was easier to get a woman to come to church than it was a guy. So historically, the church has catered to women. Well, when you start decorating a building with flowers and pastel colors and your sermons are very touchy-feely, then the person you exclude is the person God created first. And, and now we wonder why the family is failing. Well, the church began to fail a long time ago and fit over feminized the gospel. Instead of staying with the balance of what it was about, contextually correct theology, and just being honest with people. And listen, I'm, I'm a pastor. When, when your crowd's not big, you I don't care who you are, you're tempted 
to make the sermon more attractive so people come. And it's weird how the enemy can get you to justify that in your mind. So I don't want any listener saying, oh, so you've never made a mistake. Oh, no, no, no. I've theologically made mistakes out of, out of the pressure to perform. Everybody does. But it, when you have men around you that can challenge you and hold you accountable and you can come to your senses and realize that that's what makes the church work. Well, for centuries, that wasn't there. So now, 21st century, we're dealing with the Protestant religion has allowed itself that the individual is the church. I can make my own identity. It's me and Jesus. It's not about you. It's about me and my feelings. And the masculine soul is going, none of that feels right. Like, I know I'm, that's why every guy is born. You don't even have to teach a, a young boy to play cops and robbers. He knows creatively it's me against the bad guys. It's me against evil. And we just don't create a space where that can be celebrated for guys. We won't, we kind of push them down. Don't be toxic masculinity. Don't be too aggressive. Don't be too driven. Don't be successful. Because if you're successful, that's sinful. And, and now we're where we are, unfortunately. Yeah, we don't need to suppress it. We need training. We need mentors. And most of all, we need fathers. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we need. That's what's, you have many teachers, but not many fathers is what Paul said. And, and that's why we need, and that's why the work you're doing is really important because we need to raise up more men um, to be better fathers, but also spiritual fathers to lead the next generation. So, so important. When, um, when people come to you for what you offer, um, or this could be just in general, um, what's the number one issue that you think men are facing right now? Maybe this is from you know your experience with becoming man or just in general. Um, and, and you know this audience that's listening right now, they're predominantly Christian. Um, everyone's welcome. But for the, the guy who's a kingdom guy and identifies that way, what, what are some of the issues, the pitfalls, or the biggest, the biggest thing that you see? You know, I just, I just, um, I just finished doing a, a study overall through scripture. And we can get into the labeling of the top issue, which honestly is going to be pornography for sure. Um, and secondary is going to be debt. We don't talk a lot about that, um, but because our society is so comparison driven, debt's a very big issue um, in a man's life. So it was pornography, debt, and because you have pornography and debt, the third issue oftentimes is sexual intimacy with a wife or even intimacy even within oneself. And I don't have time to go into psychology of that, but that's a, that's a real thing. So those are the top issues. Well, okay, what's the, because I think those are all symptoms of, of, of an issue. So what's, even in kingdom men, what's the issue? It's, it's the acceptance of a less than standard mm. and the self-talk that that's okay. Like, so what's the lie? What's the lie behind that that men are believing? It doesn't matter. Hmm. It, like, it, at the end of the day, the problems are so massive. They're so big. Who am I? And I don't matter. And what I do doesn't matter. And because their kids are so plugged into social media and their wife is feeling totally alone, they're super overwhelmed. They feel ill-equipped. They're not sure how to attack it. And then the lie is, hey, man, you know what? It doesn't matter. I turned out okay. They're probably going to turn out okay. 
I'm actually a little bit better than my dad, so it's all going to be okay. So the word for that is apathy. We don't see it that way because we justify it. Yeah, it's it's being passive or playing the victim, and no yep. no guy would want to say, no one would ever identify and say I'm being a victim. But if you but if you stop and listen to what you say, and you just monitor your thought life, you'll start finding out like how often do you blame other people, or is it someone else's fault? And then you'll start to see that victim thinking it's there. Well, if you're gonna, so people say, hey, to change your life, change what you believe, and I believe that because Romans twelve two says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but. If, if not as important for sure, very secondary to that. How do I how do I change my life? It goes along with you with what you just said. They're the victim in their story. Well, dude, to change your life, you've got to change the internal story. At some point, the excuses you're telling yourself are not valid. Like they're they're just they don't carry the weight to justify what you're creating or what you're allowing to be created. Like you, any guy listening to this podcast, the best advice I can give, well, one of the best advice I can give you is you want to change your life, change your internal story. And until you do, you're going to keep writing that story in your mind. And that story is going to be manifested into your life. And here's the bad news. And also into your son and daughter's lives and into your grandchildren's life. Like that's a law. And, and we have to back off of that and change the story. I so, I so agree with that, Ivy. And, and, you know, for guys that are listening, you might be thinking, well, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Like, I'm washed in the blood. But, that yes, you are. But we still have these elements in our broken soul, you know, things that are left over, things that need to change, patterns, cycles, and all that stuff can still be playing while you have salvation. So we still have to work on it. Well, it's, the, um, it's what we call here the three-legged stool of discipleship. Um, most people try to just have good theology. Well, good theology stacked on bad psychology and physiology, it's going to fall every time. But, okay, I've got great psychology, but bad theology, you're going to die. It's You have to have physiology, psychology, and theology simultaneously poured into a man's life now he's a holistic person. Now he can make a holistic difference. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. So if a guy's listening, like what's the best place to start? I want to get into what you offer, but what are what are some practical key takeaways of a guy's like, man, that's me? Or how do I know if my story's messed up? Or how do I know if I'm self-sabotaging? Um, where, where do you go with that? <laughs> I think you have to be willing. You have to have the humility and the willingness to pause look at your life and have a sober grading of it. Because the most dangerous life for a man is a good life. I've got a good life. Matter of fact, this is the best life I've ever lived. I mean, I'm better than my dad, better than my granddad. My wife and I will not have an affair. I only look at porn every now and then. I mean, and I used to look at it like every night. Like I'm, and truth is I only drink every so often and I'm not getting tanked and I'm providing Okay, listen, America, that's that's a good life. I'm not going to say it's terrible. You're, and you're saved for the love of all this. And I'm going to church. What else could there possibly be? Now what has happened is your settlement for good has robbed you of greater. Like You, you can't even see the potential that's actually in you and under your influence. So a good life, the most dangerous. So sit down. 
Ask the wife this question if you're married. Do you feel deeply loved by me? Not do you know you, I love you. Because she's a woman. Ask her. We've got to learn to ask the right questions, Josh. Hey, babe, I want you to be as honest as you can possibly be. Don't hold anything back. Do you feel deeply loved by me? And the answer you get is an indication of the gap between good and great. Okay, ask the kids the same question. Do you feel like I care about you? Yeah, Dad, I know you love me. No, no, something I ask. Do you feel like I value spending time with you? Do you feel like I'm equipping you to be a better perk like you? And the answer you get is the gap between good and great. Ask, ask some of your buddies. Hey, man, do you feel like I care about you more than I care about myself? Whoever your best dude friend is, ask him that question. And when he pauses for three seconds, no matter what comes out of his mouth, the truth was in the pause. Right. Wow. This is a courageous conversation you're inviting us into, and um, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to encourage the listeners. I'm going to encourage the listeners. Take this as homework. You know, do this and self-evaluate and self, self-assess because we need to have self-awareness of where are we right now. That's That was so practical. That was so good. Thanks for sharing that with us. So I want to I want to talk about what you're doing. I want to have you give, you know, whatever messages on your heart to the guys. We're going to talk about how people can connect with you. But before we get that, before we get there, um, what I'm always interested in, besides everything we talked about, we could keep going. <laughs> but when I see when I see you and you're, you know, you're doing big things and you're in this place where you got a lot of convergence in your life, you're you're walking out what God called you to do and who he called you to be. I like to get into daily routines and rituals. Could you tell us? I, I want to know a little bit about your prayer life and a little bit about um, just your morning routine is really important here on this show. So I'd like if you could just pull back the curtain a little bit and tell us how you get started. You know, routines and habits are the foundation of everybody's life. And you have to have what we call concrete morning and night routines to bring equanimity to your day. You want to you have a concrete foundation to start from. And I call it, but then I call it the landing strip. I got to be able to land on something solid. So we work kind of second shift because we do coaching. So typically our last coaching call is like 9 o'clock at night, which means we finish around 10 to 15. So I'm not the 4 a.m. guy. Um, not because I don't – I get up early, but you got to understand, I'm not going to bed at midnight. So and I am not getting up at 4 a.m. I don't care what Instagram says. I'm not doing that <laughs> because I need um, – I know – Physiologically, I need about six hours of sleep consistent to perform at a high level. All right. Well, if I'm in bed by midnight, technically I'm getting up at seven. So I get up at seven every morning, give or take, and we get up. And because we work together, and not everybody can have this, but I challenge you to figure out how to have this. Um, We get up together. We make coffee because I love coffee. Um, I will down some water before I consume that coffee just because that's smart. Um, we'll go, we'll sit down, sleep out of our eyes, get some caffeine, and then we have a conversation. We have our first daily conversation as a married couple. It usually revolves around, obviously, not good morning, blah, blah, blah. 
hey, what'd you dream? Because I want to know where her mind was last night. What was what was either God doing or the enemy doing while she was getting rest? So explain her dream. Don't explain my dreams. And the next question is, hey, babe, what do you need from me today? Because I'm getting her emotional and mental state, and my job is to love her all day. Well, I have discovered in my husbandry, I'm not a rocket scientist. And as smart as I wish I was, I miss it sometimes. So Benet has given me permission. Just ask. So I ask her, babe, what do you need from me today? You know what? I didn't sleep real well last night. Or we've been super busy. And today, if you could kiss me on the neck several times, um, when you pass me, pause and hug, and have lots of words of encouragement, that'd be a good day for me. All right, babe, I got it. I logged right away. And then we talk some more. And then she and I go into a time of Bible study together. And so right now we're walking through the whole Bible. We started in Genesis. We're in Second Chronicles right now. And everybody's like, you're behind. <laughs> because, you know, the yearly, <laughs> the yearly Bible. So I'm yeah, like, no, no, no. We're studying the Word. We're not reading the mm, Word. So we're mm. going slow, picking up things, having discussions, using our commentaries and all that, spending time together in the Word. Then we pray together. And all of what I've just told you takes roughly an hour and a half. And then the day's cranking. And I can't tell you the schedule of my day because it depends. You know, I have an assistant that keeps that. All right, so that's the morning. Con- what that means is, is that happens unless my house is burning down, that's going to happen. But I don't care what's going on. We're going to establish enough time to make that happen. But likewise, we're going to establish enough time to make the landing pad happen, which means we're going to come back together. We're going to sit on the back porch. We're sitting in our bed, look at each other in the eye and legit ask, hey, babe, how was your day? What struggles did you have? Um, we also ask this question. Tell me something I don't know about you. Now, that question can prompt something when she was four years old, or that question can prompt something she struggled with today that I have no idea about. Just the intimacy that that one question can create is process. Hey, babe, tell me something I don't know about you. So that landing pad takes about 30 to 45 minutes, and then that landing pad is discussion and prayer. Um, and usually the nighttime is where we do like the praying for people, praying for our ministry, praying for each other, because it's not that morning prayer is formalized. It's just, it's morning time. Like you're kind of getting with it, but the nighttime is a little bit deeper, more intimate. She'll pray, I'll pray. And then we're going to bed. Those two things just happen no matter what. And they have to. I love the intentionality behind it. This is just so, so focused and disciplined to do that. Even though you love your wife, it still takes discipline to to set that routine because it's easy to slip out, I'm sure. Um, or it's well, probably not at this point for you, but for guys that are starting a practice like this, you got to fight to institute these habits in your life. Even for us, as much as it is now, not a routine, it's a habit. Man, listen, I'm like everybody else. If If you push the snooze button and you wake up hot, the first thing you're going to want to send away is that thing because you get talked into my first appointment is the most important. No, no, no. The concrete foundation is the most important. Make it happen. First things first. I love it. So what I want to do, Ivy, is I want to allow you to charge the men that are listening. I got a group of ambitious guys that are listening. Um, I'm going to go back and listen to this a few times. I know there's a lot of practical things in here that I want to extract and apply. Um, 
I want you to, I want to give you the floor to just leave uh, a message of whatever is on your heart to deliver to the men listening. And then um, anything you want to say, we're going to drop the links. We're going to tell people how to connect with you. I want them to follow you on Instagram, on social. Um, so we'll put out all that stuff in the bio, but um, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, bro, if you're, if you're listening and I don't, honestly, I don't care where you are theologically. I don't care where you are in your life. This might be potentially could be the best advice I ever got. So this is not original to me, but I'm gonna give it to you. You cannot make a good decision from a bad position. If you are a, if you're listening, you're a jujitsu practice practitioner, you know this to be true. There is zero good decisions you can make from a mount. If you're mounted, everything you do sucks. It, it's just one bad decision after the other until you get to a good position. So in a man's life, that is a law. You cannot make good decisions from a bad position. So going back to what I said earlier, you need to understand you are a triune being. You are a body, you're a soul, and you're a spirit. If you're a believer, the spirit is alive in you. It is the spirit of the living Lord, and there is power available, authority available, but the Bible also says, don't quench the Spirit. What does that mean? There's a flow that the Spirit wants to have from you into the world. If your soul is unhealthy, your mind, will, and emotions, you can hinder that flowing from you into your life, flowing from you into your children and into those people you have influence. What does that mean? Listen, have great theology understand the word from a practical and strategic sense know the context in which it's being delivered don't take a denominational bent on it look at it for what it says get in it you study to do your job really really well some of you probably hunt and you know your rifle inside and out my question is is do you know the bible with the same intensity because it's vastly more important so have solid theology but second to that you have issues from when you were two years old to 12 years old, and they are drastically affecting how you operate right now. So much so you have no idea. Counseling is not bad. Every guy on here probably has hired a personal trainer to help you fix your body. I don't know why there is this stigma in masculinity about going to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. We all need help to unpack those childhood traumatic wounds that are just there. And listen, you can grow up in a great family and have trauma. Like nobody's perfect. You need to get in an environment where you can talk about those things, be honest about those things, and do deep soul work. Well, why would I do that? Well, because you want the Holy Spirit to flow as freely into your life and into your kids as possible. And you don't want your six the, your six year old version killing your forty six year old version like th that in your mind needs to be over. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm fixing that. Thirdly, um, so you're listening to Josh's podcast. Obviously, the cat won. You know the New York State bodybuilding competition. So like I got it long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's probably easy for him. Like he's now listen, being physically fit's not easy for anybody. Listen, being fat is hard. Being physically fit is hard. Just pick. 
But I would say being overweight and out of shape is way harder. And you're not going to be here to see your grandkids. You're going to die. That's that's Your body's been given to you to be steward by God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand physiology. You need to be physically fit. Not because everybody needs to bench 300 pounds. I'm almost 50. I don't care about that. But what I do care about, and here's how I gauge my fitness. Can I carry my wife 100 yards in an emergency? If I can't, I'm failing as a protector. So guys, look, man, theology, psychology, physiology, get those things in order. Why? Because the opposite of order is chaos. And if those things are out of order, your life is in a lot of chaos or your life is in a little chaos. Anywhere you find chaos, establish order, because that's what God is about. God said, in the beginning, let there be light. In the beginning, there was void and nothingness. What is what is the Hebrew term for that? Chaos. Find the chaos in your life. Bring order in that three-legged stool. And listen, you can literally have a form of heaven on earth. So I hope that helps, man. Man, I am fired up. I feel sharpened. I feel energized. I got a fire in my belly from this. This is amazing. Um, I just want to thank you, brother, for coming on, for sharing um, a lot of wisdom and and practical things that we can do today. So I'm going to go back and listen to this episode for sure. Um, tell, tell our listeners where they can connect with you. We'll drop all the links below. Yeah, man. So connect with me, obviously, on Instagram. Um, we, I have two. One is my personal one. It's ivy.marsh. The other one is Becoming Man. Our website is becomingman.tv. My wife and I have a, a website called becomingone.tv. And listen, whoever's listening, if I, if me or my wife or both of us can ever serve you, um, I'm much like Josh. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I don't care how many followers I have. What I care about is the impact God allows me to have into your heart and your soul so you can be the best version of you that God wants you to be. And that's it. So connect with me, DM me, do whatever, and I'll help you any way I can. We need more men like you, Ivy. We need more (laughs) men like you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep doing it. So go back, listen to this podcast, take notes, and don't just be a listener, but be a doer. Apply and execute. And until the next show, let's raise the standard. Have you heard about the Unfair Advantage Challenge? If you are a Christian man, I believe you have access to an unfair advantage. But many men never access or unlock the full potential of what God makes available to them. That's why I created the free Unfair Advantage Challenge. It's totally free. Sign up in the link below. You can access 11 days of emails and training so you can reach your full potential, be the man that God created you to be, and do what he created you to do. I also want to thank you for listening to the Raising the Standard podcast. If you have a friend that you know needs to hear this, please forward them the episode. And I would be completely honored if you would leave us a review. In fact, when you leave the review, tell me a topic that you would like me to address or cover on a future episode. I read those reviews. I'm looking forward to seeing what you want me to discuss. And until the next time, let's get after it.